0: Hi there, I'm Deb Crow and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So I'm very excited to welcome Aaron LeBax to the show today. Erin, it's so great to see you. It's always a fun first meeting, putting a face to a name. And I'm in my comfy, authentic, heart-centered sweatshirt today. I'm doing a lot of podcast interviews Stealing the cliche from Billy Joel, but I'm in a heart-centered state of mind, and I'm really, really excited that you wanted to be on the show, and I'm even more excited to interview you. So I've got my leadership questions ready based on what you sent in and me doing my own little history of Aaron. So
1: are you ready to go? I sure am, Deb. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and yeah, let's get into it. And, and you look pretty in pink. I love the pink. Why, thank you. I had another jacket on and I wanted to be warmer and comfier. So I went for the pink.
0: It suits you. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Okay, my first leadership question is, I love how you kind of frame goal setting and relationship building to be synonymous. So mm. where I want to go with this question is, my definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. And mm-hmm. when I read kind of your synonymous approach to goal setting and relationship building, how can we set a goal and, and build a relationship and not have reciprocity, have any, have, have any place in that
1: equation? In the sense that when we're writing, we're kind of by ourselves. And we're not, we, and that's exactly it, Deb, right? Thank you for that question. When we write, it's not as obviously interactive as when we speak to one another. And and so that idea of not having the reciprocity or sort of being able to check in with your reader's facial expression, frame of mind, right? And you're sort of writing in a vacuum to an extent, or it can feel that way. And, you know, I've really started talking with folks lately about the interactivity of writing and creating the reality of that person on the other side. But your point about goals and relationships, writing can really feel purposeful when it's goal-oriented. And I often work with learners and leaders who are trying to leverage strategic writing that when we write, we actually have two goals all the time when we write. We have an informational goal to let you know maybe, oh, we're actually going to do the podcast at 2.30, not 2.00. But a relational goal also, which is how to preserve or build or maintain whatever trust we've created. How can I write maybe a critical message, even critical information with still having a relational goal of maintaining respect? And so we can write with those goals in mind, even when we don't see the person by sort of imagining the real, what might my reader be experiencing? What could be their reactions to this? as a leader what might sound inclusive and motivating or what might accidentally sound dismissive or condescending we have to imagine some of that since our reader is a great there like a listener might be
0: you know i i that was eloquent and i i love the way you framed it because i've just published my first solo book and i thank you and 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 everything you just talked about you know that journey the culmination of emotions, all the different levels of cognition that you get to. And I think some of the most humble reviews and feedback of people that know me or have met me or know my voice Mm -hmm. is when they said, I was reading it and I could hear your voice. Isn't that right? and, and, And it's just now that you've kind of framed it in that way, I never thought of it in the context of the way you just shared that. And that was so beautiful, but... It is. It's such a process. It's such an undertaking. But you know, putting your thought leadership out there, you want to do it authentically so that people do hear your voice and and feel that it is you. So I I love I love that kind of I'm going to say integrated equation of how you put those two together. Okay, my second question is super fun. It has permanent residency on the show.
1: Oh, yes.
0: I have asked over 250 leaders this question. So I'm excited to hear your answer. Right. What what imperfections does Erin bring to her heart-centered leadership?
1: Well, you know, Deb, there are more than one. Um, and one of the one of the great joys of I, I taught previously through schools and academic systems. And after 20 years, I thought, you know, I kind of want to do this independently. And one of the many joys of going out on my own has been discovering more about my own strengths and weaknesses, because when you work alone, they sure become obvious. You don't have your team and you start to notice yourself doing quite well in some areas because those are your strengths, while other areas are dragging behind. And so I've really learned that my imperfections tend to center around areas like process, paperwork, consistency, organization, time, scheduling, I'm sort of the person with the ideas and the communication and how can we connect and what is the soulful vibe in the room, right? And, and now I've learned, I now have someone helping me with a lot of my work and he is very process oriented. And so I can continue being idea and sort of public oriented. But what was key there was for me to realize number one, it's great that I've realized my flaws so I can team up with others who compliment me. But secondly, I even realized, you know, if I didn't have these flaws or imperfections, I probably wouldn't have the good things either because often my flaws are an outgrowth of my strengths. Right? Oh, I so love I, that. You know? Oh, say that again. Say yeah, that my again. flaws are often that, or my imperfections are the outcome or the outgrowth of my strengths. Because if I want to be, inspired and creating content and helping people get confident about their writing. Yeah. It kind of stands to reason that I might forget, you know, a piece of paper or maybe I didn't do my finances in the most organized manner. Right. It's an outgrowth of the fact that I'm focusing in this human dynamic living moment way. And so I've, I mentioned that to a friend recently and he said, Oh, I never thought of the idea that my sort of quote failings could actually just be the other side of the coin of my strengths. And if if I were good at all those things, I might be bad at what I'm currently strong at. And I don't want that. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Okay. So you you talk
0: about having an openness to risk, which I'm going to say, maybe that's the cousin to imperfection. Nice segue into my third question. What do you mean by being open <clears throat> to risk? Is that a self-audit to explore vulnerability, authenticity, maybe dip your toe in imperfection. Where does that come from in your world?
1: Well, you know, it's been built um, over time. I've been in the classroom for 20 years. You, when I started, it was at a high school that was underfunded and overcrowded. And you will know right away if your teaching is useful. You know, people, teenagers will let you know. And that's how I learned to teach. Um, And so I I had to take risks. You know, I'm going to teach to this group who's not super interested in this. I'm going to do this wild thing to show that it's intellectually meaningful and they can really engage. And so over the time, I just started to notice that that was one of my strengths, the willingness to take a risk. And I remember recently reading um, The Confidence Code by Shipley And I, I can't think of the other author right now, but one of their key points was that confidence is built often from risk-taking mm-hmm. and being willing to, whether you succeed or fail, the fact that you do rather than get into analysis paralysis. And so I after reading that, I thought, oh, you know, that's really true for me. And I'm lucky that I am okay with risk. I, you know, I swim open water races. I think that between teaching and being in the ocean and all that, I just sort of have accepted, you know, something might not go well today, right? It's out of my control. It's okay. I'll probably mess up. I even used to think, well, I'm speaking to 150 people right now. Just statistically speaking, there must be a few who don't really like what I'm saying or don't like what I'm wearing. It's just statistically normal, right? And so realizing um, in everything I do, even down to trying to use Spanish when I can, and it's not perfect, but people say, wow, I'm so glad you risked doing it because now we feel included. And so I've learned that the risk, the, the daringness, the chance that it could be good for people is worth it for the couple of times that there will be mistakes, which really just end up helping me learn anyway.
0: Well, and one of my heart-centered leadership qualities is the ability to fail forward. And I, mm. I would rather fall on my face and get back up trying than live in the world of, oh, I wish I would have, could have, should have. That, you just define the epitome and daily living of an entrepreneur. And it's it's interesting because you came at it after working in multiple roles in your career. And well, I that, think taking that leap of faith says so much about you and just that confidence you talk about that we build. And it, right. I think it gets stronger when we take risk and we fall on our face and we fail. and
1: mm-hmm. I yeah. agree.
0: Okay, my fourth question, super excited to ask you this one. <laughs> you talk about when you're communicating as a leader, it's a quote, make or break within the organizational culture. right? How does trust and respect depend on intentional language? And you talk about the risk. So and- when, we, when we look at this in the intersection of writing and communicating, Where does it intersect and why is it so imperative? And maybe you could give us an example.
1: Sure, sure. I'd love to start with an example and then kind of unpack what that means for us all, right? About how can intentional word use be that? Why would I call it make or break, right? Am am I really saying that it's that important? And I am. Um, And I recently worked with a young woman who I won't say, of course, the business, but she was fairly new in her career. And she was in her second career job. I think she was about 28. And I'll tell you, side note, you know, people in their 20s come up to me after classes all the time and say, gosh, I wish I would have known these things about writing when I left college or grad school because I'm not, we're not writing the same way, right? Anyhow, she told me that she had switched jobs recently. Her very first career job was for a company who actually has some notoriety for not being a good workplace, in terms of respect for employees. And she told me that she used to read the monthly leadership emails and feel very dismissed and unimportant. And she used to tell her mom, we're talking about someone in their first career, right? Mom, I don't feel that great here. And we, you know, I asked her, why was that? And she said, well, truly, it was these monthly leadership emails that seemed like only the top levels of people mattered. Fast forward a few months, I met her when she had a job in this startup about sort of railway transportation in a new innovative way. And she, I said, well, what's it like there? And she said, I literally called my mom the first day I received an all hands email and said, mom, I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. Because she was now hearing from a leader where the email was all about them. It made her feel motivated, included, important and respected, right? So she, I can't wait to work today. I'm part of an amazing team. I'm so lucky to have this job, right? That's the opposite to the retention crisis we're seeing and -hmm. the morale crisis, which she had experienced in her previous job. And so to me, we can spend all the money we want boosting morale with wonderful events and right? And money and parties or whatever it might be. But if we go back to work the next week and the leadership's email is condescending, often by mistake, that money was all for naught, right? And so it's make or break at the end of the day, because we can, if we can't walk the talk by being respectful in our writing, we will lose people without even knowing that that's, they're starting to drift away.
0: Absolutely. And and that's such an important point. And, and I love, you know, you're coming from a writing perspective with your business and your background and language is so important and it can be misconstrued whether we're face-to-face right. in an email and it segues nice into my fab floor. So my first question, we don't want you to think about these Aaron. we just want whatever's sitting on the top of that That's- brilliant writer's mind. Okay. What word or phrase shows up daily in your leadership?
1: Oh, well, intentionally used the word or phrase, the words you and your. Love it. Which very much need to be intentionally used because they can be used quite badly as well.
0: Yes. Good example. Name a book. I know you named one earlier in a question. So you have to think of a second one now that you've read. This could be at any time in your life that was impactful. What was the name of the book? Who's the author? And how did it impact you?
1: well i'm i I'm going to go with a book that I'm not done with yet, which just goes to show the how powerful the writing is um and it's not a business book; it's called "An Immense World" by Ed Wong, and it's a science book. It's about though how the world is perceived and experienced by other species, mm-hmm. and so it kind of helps us get past the othering that we often do to people or other species or other cultures, right. So it's almost like a cultural understanding book, but from a, with biology mixed in. And so what it's showing me is, just like in leadership, if I'm thinking from my perspective versus my team's, I may not say what's most relevant to them. And this book is kind of like going even farther. It's, well, humans might see this perspective, but in this animal world, this is another perspective where... Hearing is as important as vision or whatever, right? So all in all, it's just helping me get more and more ideas about how we all come from to learning from different angles, to leadership, to modeling, to following a model from different perspectives. So it helps me, even though it's biology and psychology put together, it helps me understand our differences better.
0: I love that. And I, I love... You know, I remember my Irish Nana always saying that reading leaders are readers and you should read every day, even if it's only 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah we continue to evolve and grow as leaders. And that's and I right. love the impact and I love that you're mixing up how you're wanting to learn things. So that's another book to add to our long list of amazing recommended books that people have shared on the show. Okay, my third question is kind of fun and I need to give you a little bit of context. Okay. So I'm granting you a wish and you get to have dinner with a leader that you just aspire to. Um, They could be living. They could have passed away. Who is that leader? And what is the dinner conversation?
1: I guess the leader would be, and it's, you know, I'm not, Doing my best here because I don't have her name at the tip of my tongue, but she was the CEO for Patagonia who made all those decisions about we want to put our work behind our values about the environment. And so, and they also sort of democratized ownership. Mm -hmm. And I just love the idea when leaders, we hear people often say the things they wish that they could do, but here was a company doing it. And not every company can make those same choices, but I've watched them make a couple of choices to sort of change their pay structure, change their import export structure to try to really be able to say we're walking the talk of what we think is valuable in terms of how we treat people and our environment. I love that. And I just think it's amazing that someone talk about risk, right? To step out of the corporate model in that way. I just thought it was impressive.
0: And I love the imperfection that you still gave the answer, even though you didn't give that CEO's name, which we can all find out quickly on Google. Right. And what a lasting impression it's left on you. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I want to be your new friend, Aaron. This has been so much fun. Wise.
1: I agree. This has been great.
0: I, I, before I uh, have you finish the show with the last question, which I have you finish a sentence, I just want to say you're such a great example of someone to be on this show. You embrace language, you love words, you love imperfection. And you took that leap of faith in building your own confidence to go out in your own business, which I just think is like a high five to you, like kudos, because a lot of people don't have the courage
1: Right. I, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't wa- been watching my college students do the same thing right then as they graduated to start their own businesses. And I thought, why not me? Just because I'm 20 years older, you know, I can still do it.
0: You know, I, I had Chip Conley on the show. And what I love about him is he said something to me, I'm never going to forget. When he sold his hotel conglomerate in his mid 40s, mid to late 40s, the brainchilds of Airbnb came to him, mm. He said to me, I thought it was so ridiculous that someone would want to rent someone's house when you could go stay in a luxury hotel. He, he said, I'm eating the humble pie. They didn't know how to scale it, but he did. Mm. Mm. But what they taught him, and I think this is what you're saying, is we lose the ability to stay in awe and a state of wonder,
1: Mm, And that
0: that brought him back and curiosity and dreaming again. And why not? And now he's in his 60s and is doing a whole modern elder thing. But, you know, would that have happened if he didn't align with some younger out of college brainchilds of this great vision? Like you said, they were the idea people, but they didn't know how to execute or scale it. And there's another good example. So I just want to wish you continued success and thank you for all that you do to help people be so eloquent with the written word.
1: Well, thank you, Deb. And thanks to you too. And congratulations on your new book.
0: Thank you. And
1: I'm going to have you finish the
0: show by finishing this sentence. And I'm very excited to hear your answer. Yeah. Heart-centered leadership is? Respect
1: and openness
0: thanks so much for joining me today on imperfect the heart-centered leadership podcast i hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing heart-centered guest if you like the show feel free to give us a rating and a review and we always welcome your feedback anytime if you're ready to master the art of heart my new book the heart-centered leadership playbook is now available on amazon or you can click the link below in our description